Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. <laughs> Smooth Tigers Radio, 97.1 WLLZ. I'm Rogelio Castillo-Alexander. Just joking. Welcome to Tigers Radio here at uh, MotorCityBagels.com. And yes, I am Rogelio Castillo-Alexander. It's Chris Brown. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartMedia, Stitcher, and Google Play. And tonight, our guest, and it's a guy I've been wanting to talk to for a while because I'm a big fan of his writing. He also knows a lot about movies, which we were just talking about that beforehand. We'll, we'll revisit that in a little bit. Is uh, Pat Ellington Jr., who is from Indians Baseball Insider. Is that correct? Yeah, that's one of the um, right spots I, I write for right now. And uh, talk about your little solo project, too. It's something that I've subscribed to on your email. And, and talk about that real quick before we uh, st- talk about the show. Okay, cool. So um, it's actually how I kind of got started in baseball. Um, I started my own independent medium site in like, 2019 um, with the idea that I'm just going to throw short stories out there. Um, just kind of give some background to preface that to preface the preface. Um, I've known of any, I know that I'm going to be a writer since I was about 12 years old. Started out with solely being fiction novels, and then when I was a teenager, um, it started to include screenplays after um, my love for movies kind of manifested itself in a, in, a, in, a, in another in another way and started to grow. Um, and um, uh, baseball is my favorite sport since the Indies went to World Series in 2016. And um, for me, just this the series was just a way for me to um, kind of for me to kind of delve in my interest in the game because my interest in the game throughout my life has always kind of um, revolved around black players. Um, so throughout the diaspora, not just black American players, but Afro Latino players, Afro Caribbean players. And now you have African Caribbean players coming to that mix. So um, I have a series that on um, black baseball players such as diaspora in major in, my, in the major leagues and the minor leagues that started in February 2020, which is about a year and a half ago. And um, it's led to me, you know, um, writing and, and talking, talking on various entities and talking to you guys about the game now. Awesome. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, Justin, a lot of... Uh, it was something he shared on a link a few uh, a little while back, and that's how I got into your writing. But uh, Chris, why don't you ask the question we asked our first time guests? Oh well, yeah. I mean, uh, you kind of touched on it there, but I'm curious about your earliest baseball memory. Um, my earliest baseball memory would probably be um, hanging with my dad on Sunday um, and seeing just flash, remember flashes of Derek Jeter and, and pinstripes as a kid. 
Um, my my just just preface. Um, I grew up an Indians fan in Cleveland, Ohio, in Cleveland, Youngstown, Ohio. But my father's from from East Orange, New Jersey, and he grew up a Yankees fan in the seventies and eighties. So, um, that was his favorite team. And you know, me, I was born in nineteen ninety eight. So growing up, uh, Derek Jeter is it was who I saw a lot. So obviously, um, that Derek Jeter is one of my earliest memories of baseball because he was the face of baseball throughout my childhood. Yeah. And he's a much better shortstop and human being than Omar Vizquel, which we'll touch on a little later. Um, but, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, oh yeah. I, I like this. I like this. Yeah, I like of course, this. I was. I like this. Gonna I was just going to say, of course, I graduated high school in 1998, which is all uh, <laughs> That's terrible. crazy. Terribly That's humbling. <laughs> I know. Did you see, did you see that I'm clip? Sorry. I'm no, sorry. did you see that? I just saw today the clip of, uh, was it Kevin Hart talking to Don, Don Cheadle? Have you seen that? Uh, yeah, damn. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. No, no, no it's, it's awesome. You know, I think it's fantastic because Raj and I always talk about like, we don't always talk about, we touch about like, hey, we need need younger fans in the game. We need more diverse perspectives in the game. And we think it's important. So it's really cool to see you doing this and also to see you shining a light on, on some of the minority players in the game because it's it's been an issue for baseball for a while now. I mean, I remember there were a couple of years there where there weren't more than one or two black pitchers in the entire major leagues. And, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I think black American pitchers, because it, it was, yeah, I'm sorry. Yes. And, and Willis, but I mean, yeah. but and, and it's another thing is, is how um, baseball identifies as black players, especially ones, the foreign born ones. Also, that's the big thing. And I know, uh, or her Leo could probably um, get into that a lot. Expound and expand on that a lot in, in the intersection of how, and how all those things work, and um, so so definitely, and I feel like that's another reason why that that my project kind of resonate, resonates with him also, and that's the intended goal is for me to be able to connect with people through other parts of the diaspora, um, in order to give them the visibility that they may feel like it's not there. Yeah, I mean it, it's just astounding sometimes, and we'll, we'll get to that another time about uh, the. Then you know the cliches and all that stuff, but uh, right. you know, but the, the right now it's it's strange to think that you know the podcast actually well timed as the Tigers today swept in Baltimore did the exactly what they're supposed to do. Meanwhile, Cleveland, I had to double check the score to see if that was accurate. Seventeen nothing. Is that yeah? Is that... They got cooked. <sighs> Man, they got cooked, and you know, Cleveland. And Cleveland is one of those things that I was going to ask about this. Pat, in terms of right now, they've been piecing together a lot with their pitching staff. But right now, what is the big big problems right now with Cleveland? Is it just it's a matter of there's some of the prospects not coming through? I saw uh, Yu Chang was sent back down last week after struggling a little bit, and it just seems like they're not getting the consistency out of the outfield again, which is always We've talked about this before with um, Jeff from uh, Lockdown Indians. We've talked about this with Justin. It just seems like the what what is is just the offensive lack of firepower again. It just seems to be the case here. So I will start with saying that the Cleveland's the youngest team in all of baseball. They have the youngest pitching staff, and I think the second youngest pitching playing group behind Toronto. Oh, well, Toronto's pitching play group is a lot better. Um, their pitching player group is equally young, but they have a lot more years in the majors collectively when you just look at, and also the ceiling is just way higher for that group, just collectively. And we just look at, when you go individually to those names, um, 
and that's one factor is this um i want to say it's a lack of talent but i would say it's more so um the talent has yet to supplant itself and we have yet to see who's going to stick against the wall as they're getting drawn against and who's not naturally um when you have young baseball teams that's the major level they're gonna they're gonna suck i mean in the first like two three cents of majors your business players your, your pitchers are going to suck unless they're really good and even so what goes up must come down and sooner or later your rookies the other shoot the shoot other shoots going to drop for them so i mean your, your rookies are going to suck up one way or another unless they're just a really good player unless they just have a really good year so i think it's kind of hard for young teams to succeed without failing first so collectively so i think that's kind of what this team is going to do right now now mind you people are ready to cancel the the, the Cleveland pitching factory tropes and all that just because of a lot of the starters struggling right now but this is their first stand usually your young stars are garbage for their first 35 40 career starts so i think it's just people really being impatient with the them kind of rebuilding on the fly because it's really only been 100 games since they kind of started Yeah, I mean, it's in, you know, Chris and I are always amazed at how well they, they could put together. And Francona's out right now. Uh, he's going to be out for the rest of the year. But it's just a, it's ability to stay in contention with just, and also a lot of injuries, too. And then the Tigers have been hit by the bug, bug this week. We saw Grayson Ryder off the game early, and they thought it was a hamstring injury, but then mm-hmm. ended up being just a cramp. But it's it seems like it's it, the injuries have seemed to hit every team and Cleveland's got rocked pretty hard with it. In terms of starters, I saw like how many injuries or how many games have missed because of injury. But um, Chris, I, I, for the Tigers, I mean, the collision with Derek Hill and Akil Badu was hurtful, and they managed to pull it out today. They selected a contract with Jacob Robson, who Tiger prospect people are just like, <laughs> yes, finally, bring up the Mabel Hammer. And the Mabel Hammer is coming into effect and in, in just all that. And it's a feel-good story, even though you know he has a 35% strikeout rate. In AAA, which is, you know, Pat, you know, I was like, eh, but, you know, either way, you got to be happy. But honestly, Chris, it's just some of the injuries, the Tigers, I, I look, you know, tip of the cap, second place in a year with the, the, how much they've missed. It's impressive. Yeah. You know, I, I think for the Tigers, it's, it's been, uh, really impressive, to, to, frankly, for them to, I mean, they're, they started the season as one of the worst teams in baseball, and now they're like a slightly above 500 team basically for the last three months, which is just something I wouldn't expect to see happening. And and it's along with the injuries. Now, fortunately, I guess the injuries, I can't say that. I mean, you know, Matthew Boyd and Spencer Turnbull were kind of their two main starters this year, and they lost them both. Uh, but they still have Scooble and Mize. And it's like, you know, when you look at Cleveland, you're losing Shane Bieber, the Cy Young winner, and Zach Klesak got injured and hasn't been right. And uh, who's their other bi- other big three? I'm forgetting Savala, right now. Savala. Seriously, Savala, yeah. So like, that's just that's super tough. I mean, that was the strength of the the Cleveland org and the Tigers. Have, you know, they found some things this year, at least uh, for the time being. You know, former Cleveland catcher Eric Haas has been a big story, and Akil Badu has been one of the coolest stories in baseball this year. And like you said, Derek Hill's been fun. They just seem to be finding stuff. So it's it's been really fun to watch, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we, we knew this was going to be a problem across baseball this year with with the injuries just because of the shortened season last year and everybody worried. And, and I'm still kind of curious to see how it's going to play out over the final six weeks or so. 
Yeah, it's it's gonna. I mean, you look at the White Sox who are getting healthy, and that's just it's all bad for the rest of the division. But it seemed like that was gonna be set up the way it was gonna be. So I, I mean, to me, it's it, it's just one of those things where the AL Central has gotten a bad rap, and kind of rightfully so. And the White Sox and Twins kind of going back and forth about whether you know the Twins have you know bottom out and everything, and that that whole thing is just it's it's funny hearing Twins fans kind of go, well, you know, just. They expect a lot more, but I mean, for, for Tiger fans right now, it's just, I can't believe we're in second place. It's like, I, this is the first time we've done the show now for four years and the Tigers have never been above third, I think. And they're at least four, four <laughs> games under 500 right now. Yeah. Like they may have been above third, like two games into a season once, but <laughs> yeah, definitely not this late in the year. Yeah. I mean, they, they kind of got hot in the weird last season heading into the final month and then fell apart. But uh yeah, no, it's been it's yeah. been fun to watch and uh, seeing them beat up on lesser teams is, is unusual and enjoyable. Uh, speaking of what's not fun, it is the our categories like Pat is very well aware of inside numbers and how that works is Omar Vizquel. And it, it was serendipitous that Pat two days before that news broke out, you said that Omar Vizquel is the most overrated shortstop. You tweeted it out. And I was just like. Because as a Tiger fan growing up in the late 90s, watching him in high school, feel like sometimes he hot dog a play or whatever, and just his arrogance just pissed me off. And then when he was a bit bench with the Tigers, I'm like, all right, well, uh, you know, what else am I going to do? And then, then you see the news that he was getting sued for sexual harassment. It's just one of those stories. It's one of the strangest stories. It's just one of the strangest stories I've ever seen involving that. It was like just... Oh man! And but before we get to that, what prompted you to say that? Because I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> well, um, I've said it multiple times in the past. Um, to be, I'm, I, I will say I never liked Omar Vizquel growing up. I just thought he was an overrated player. Um, you know, in Cleveland, he he gets a lot of praise from people, and um, and I also think he's unjust, unrightly compared to Ozzy Smith, and. Ozzy Smith is just heads and shoulders above him as a player in every facet of the game. And I just I just think it's I think Ozzy Smith is the gold standard for a glove for a shortstops, if we're gonna be honest. Not Omar Vizquel. Omar Vizquel is maybe the the is, is a hollow very good for glove for a shortstops, but no. Um I just and plus him, Omar Vizquel being on the cusp of being on the Hall of Fame with the I'm going to say the bad hitting numbers that he had with the good defense that he had and the endurance that he had while Kenny Lofton jumped up the ballot in his first season. I mean, his first, uh, in his first year eligibility was just um, pathetic. And I also have a lot of beef with the baseball writers, Associated uh, Rick, and how they conduct the, the ballots voting for the Hall of Fame. Um, I found Kershaw getting that close and being on the ballot nine times and them doing what they did after that fact, a spin in the face and also him and also them waiting that long and really not even looking at his character, even when they put him out was also a spin in the face. They just, they handle so many things very, very wrong. And I just can't rock with that. I'm glad you brought up Kenny Lofton because he is one of the most egregious cases ever of a guy. Him and, and Lou Whitaker is the big one around here. Lou Whitaker, I, I, Lou Whitaker, absolutely. And to me, there's a there's a correlation there with black 
black and Latino players. And I think I, I don't like that shit. No, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I no, I think you're absolutely right. And you know, and I think his religion has something to do with it too, because he was a Jehovah Witness. And really? Yeah, because I mean, there was. Uh, it's Whitaker, right? I, I don't know what yeah. uh, I don't know. I don't know what Lofton did or didn't well, do. But. somebody somebody pointed out that he never. King Lofton do anything but get traded a lot during trade deadline because he was. Yeah, good. that's all it was. Yeah, he was just so he was yeah, a plus center fielder with crazy speed. And pretty good point guard too. At Arizona. Power. Yeah. And a 300 career hitter. So, um, yeah, no, he's one of 37 on base percentage for his career. Like, it's, like, you know, one of the best leadoff men of, of all time, really. And he doesn't get that that credit. Um, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, there, there are times probably like, in the best era for center field. Well, one of the best era for center fielders ever, and he was one of the best of his era. Yeah, and that's, he was clean. Sorry, yeah. No, that that's and he was clean. Like, come on. Yeah. No, and, and that's what was I, clean? I mean I assume he was. I don't I don't know anything about I can't remember he was or not. You guys I don't, was, I don't, that was he, your time. He was, yeah, it was he was, yeah. He never never was in that kind of uh, realm. I, yeah, I, I don't ever remember hearing anything about I mean there was, you know, Albert Bell was on that team and yeah. there was always talk about Manny and stuff like and that. Tommy. Tommy, yeah. But I mean no, I think part of it was I think you, you nailed it a little bit with with that was one of the best eras ever for center fielders. And so you got to kind of get overshadowed a little bit by like Griffey. Um, but I mean, even then you still had good accolades, like yeah, still had his fair share of numbers during that time period. Yeah. So like, I mean, three, 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 three five straight seasons were over 50 stolen bases as a leadoff guy for one of the best offenses of offenses of all time. Hey, look at this. He, he de- debuted on my 11th birthday. How about that? No, he's, that 1997 squad. You're is making me feel young. Stop it. <laughs> that You were negative seven at the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That 19, the 1997 squad is probably one of the best squads I've ever seen at Tiger Stadium. I mean, that was a team that walked in and it just, it's because Dennis Martinez is one of my favorite pitchers of all time. And he was still, I mean, I think it was towards the tail end of his career and he was still lighting up a little bit. And I imagine if, I would imagine if Cleveland had another starter that would have overcame the Marlins, but I mean, it's Jared Wright going in game seven against LeVon Hernandez. It's one of those games that like, it just, I laughed at the Indians at the time because I did not like them because as a Tiger fan, this is, I think this is a year before they joined the Tigers were in central, but it's just, it's like Cleveland. I wasn't used to Cleveland being a thing. And then every time they, they thump the Tigers all the time. So, but uh, no, that 97 squad is sick. And also they had Travis Ryman, who was one of my favorite Tigers that the Tigers basically traded because they didn't want to pay him. So, um, at any rate, that just, yeah, that's a flat, but, but yeah, Omar Vizcal got in some trouble. This is some, it just kind of like, just, you got to shake your head a little bit. And, and now, you, I mean, from yeah. what I've heard from people throughout the city, he's, he was never a good guy in Cleveland. Yeah. We, we heard, heard some, the same things yeah. when he was, uh, when he was coaching here. Yeah, sort of I've, heard, I've heard things in my, in my time in the press box over at Lake County. So. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. That, yeah, there's one of those uh, between the three of us. We've probably heard a lot. But uh, at any rate, the uh, the one thing that's going on too. Speaking of Lake County right now, Justin is getting some tweets as uh, Lake County taking on West Michigan. He's working at a 400 foot home run earlier. What the hell's going on in Erie, Chris? Holy crap! I mean, I'm just, you're, you're like every five minutes, you're like, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a, a wild day to uh, throw up highlights. Yeah, the. They scored 15 runs in the first game of the doubleheader and then let off game three with back-to-back-to-back home runs. Spencer Torkelson went seven for seven today, total, with three home runs. <laughs> and Riley Green, two home runs. 
Ryan Kreidler hit his 15th. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good day to be uh, a hitter for Erie. That's insane stuff. And uh, yeah, I was, I was just, well, it's every time I, my phone was going off. I had my phone on off earlier because I was trying to get some non baseball stuff done. And every, when I went to go look at it, I'm like, what the, what is going on with the water in there? But uh, nevertheless, anyway, the, let's just get into one of my favorite, one of my favorite, so, so one of my favorite and honestly, segments of all time it's time for Rogelio and Chris to go inside the numbers all right so Pat you are our guest this evening so mathematics nice I I like that yeah oh thank you um I put that together uh um most stuff has been part of our uh production team for about four years now <laughs> gotta go with multi- like it, make, it, make, it makes sense um, i can't wait to get to the music segment now I'm, I'm, all, I'm right. Ready. all right pat so you're our first time guest what is your inside number for this week um it actually was going to be the end of the youngest team in the majors that's good. All right, that's cool. I mean, if you got something else you got to add to, I mean, if, if not, if you, I mean, I mean, that's kind of the thing now. The, the is is the youth movement happening? You know, with Cleveland and um, and for me, it's unique because I've never, for me, being so young, I've never seen a rebuild on a fly like this before, and also just me being so intently engaged, closely engaged with the team. Um, I've only been disengaged since Anthony Sheranoff became the heads of the Cleveland front office in twenty sixteen. So and that's kind of so. This whole thing up to now has really been interesting to see for me compared to how baseball rebuilds usually go. Um, typically with the tanking and everything, selling and owners trying to make it cheap as possible. And while Cleveland's being cheap, they're doing it a different way where, where they're trying to. It, I, I just like the high wire acts like this. It's very interesting to see. I like the challenge. I like to see. Um, the problem solving skills in real time and the guesses and the gambles. Cause that's basically what this all, what this all is when it comes to player development. So um, it's just really kind of drilling and cool in its own little way. If yeah, that all made sense, I kind of made that come together. No, 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 no. <laughs> no I get it. I kind of dig the, it, it's the tigers have done it by exactly what you're talking about. Tanking, getting these old veterans, trying to squeeze out some life out of them. And, and I kind of like the, the more just throw a whole bunch of young players together, like let them hunger games it out and, and figure out who could stick. Which are and, good veterans. Yeah. With your, yeah. With some, you know, you've got to trade. We've talked about it a bunch about it. It always bumps me out that Cleveland just seems to trade, you know, whenever guys are getting close to free agency, they just trade them. And, and mm-hmm. how much of a bummer it is that Francisco Lindor, like you can't pick a better franchise player and they still got rid of Honestly, him. Um, it's funny that we bring up Francisco now because Francisco deserves all the irrational praise that Omar Vizquel gets from Cleveland fans. And I'll say that on record and we can put the snippet on Twitter and cause I, I want to smoke with that Rogelio. So yeah. let, let's get that. Um, um, also, um, Francisco and Jose should have retired in Cleveland uniforms. They should both have statues and cause they were going to get a world series eventually. I, I think they, I think no. they were, it was only a matter of time, in my opinion, for them, um, especially with, with this new way of prospects coming now. If they kept Lindor there at short and you had Jose there at third, I mean, you could build around that for the next decade, no matter what. And for me, um, I totally forgot what I was going to say. Next, no, that's good. Um, 
My fault. That's good. No, no, no my bad. Not my no, fault. You, you, you know, we can we can, re, we can come back and, and revisit that in a second. Um, so, Chris, what was your inside the number? Uh, so, mine uh, this week is five, and it's kind of going to be like familiar territory to anybody who's listened before. But uh, I still think it's kind of important. So five, uh, Matt Manning, who pitched for the Tigers today against the Orioles, he showed some signs, and he was especially with his fastball velocity late in the game. But he still managed just four swings and misses. And this is something we've been talking about for years now. I mean, pointing out that when he faced good competition, he couldn't get swings and misses. And we talked about it when he first came up this year, and it's it's just keeps happening. That's now his fifth start this season, where he's gotten five or fewer swings and misses. And uh, I was kind of curious, like how many other starters in the majors this year have done that, have had, you know, five or more games with that few swings and misses. And it's actually 19. So there's a fair amount of them. But the problem with Matt Manning is he only has 10 starts. So half of his 10 starts have have had that low number of swings and misses. And there are only four other pitchers in the majors this year with a higher percentage of uh, low swing and miss starts. And they are Thomas Eshelman. And his 802 ERA, he's five for five right now. Uh, Kohei Arihara from the the Rangers, who has a 659 ERA. Brett Anderson, who somehow has a 354 ERA, I don't know how. And Jake Arietta, who's got a 688 ERA and was just, I believe, cut by the Cubs. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I just there's not really two ways about it. I think Matt Manning is going to need to find a way to miss more bats, or he's not going to be an acceptable big league starter. And, it's, uh, it's, it's it's funny just from the outside looking. It seems like when the top um, pitching prospects for Tigers, like this current generation of guys, came up, like they it seemed like they really crashed and burned like badly. Mm-hmm. Like like bad. I, like I know it was like I, I heard you, I heard it was like really just from the outside looking. It was ugly. So can you guys like give me some context on what do you guys feel about it? As you know, um. You know, organization. You know, it seems like we're trying to play catch up with player development stuff with the rest of the with the rest of the division and stuff like that. Yeah. So, I mean, last year, Scoobal and Mize came up, and you know, they're kind of the two bright young starters on the the rotation right now, and they mostly got rocked. I mean, Scoobal had a couple outings where he looked like you could see it in the future, and Mize had maybe one his first his debut. I guess the White Sox, yeah. I guess. Uh, and yeah, it was ugly. And it was like you were saying earlier, Pat, about like, you know, young starters, it takes them a while to figure things out. Um, but they've they've made some very real and obvious strides this year. And a lot of that, we kind of give credit to the new coaching staff and the new pitching coach, particularly. Um, yeah, but, it seems like they definitely made a, um, a turn this year. I should have said that also because um, mm-hmm. they've definitely um well i did not know we were getting comments that was that's cool yeah, we just, yeah, um, first one. yeah michael michael is correct yeah. by that but well, go ahead yeah go ahead yeah no no i mean um yeah i mean that's kind of really it i mean go ahead it's, go ahead chris sorry uh, so no in a perfect world matt manning would still be in toledo this year but the problem there is he was getting rocked in toledo too for the exact same reasons is he so in toledo I mean, but that's so. This is the weird thing, and this is one of those things that that prospect people, not necessarily prospect people, but fans have a hard time believing because he was the Eastern League Pitcher of the Year in 2019. He was untouchable in Double A. He had like I don't know 160 strikeouts, 150 strikeouts, and 30 walks. Was an elite pitcher, but the issues that he's having now and what, that he was having in Triple A were always there. Whenever he faced quality hitters like in spring training or at the futures game, he, he, just couldn't, 
He couldn't put anybody away. His breaking ball didn't fool people, and his fastball didn't get past him. And and so does uh, he have like does he have a viable changeup? Eh, <laughs> he it's he has a changeup. It's not like a bat misser for him. Uh, and he's got a sli- and he's developed a slider kind of on the fly this year, which okay. is probably going to be his best secondary pitch if he can get more consistent with it. So they're working on okay. it. What would you grade is all of his pitches right now, personally? Oh man, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, so the the fastball is like I I'd put like a fifty five on it, maybe a fifty, because it's the velocity. Like he got up to ninety eight today, but again, it's it's like a super low spin fastball, but so not it, it a has, sinker. So it has speed, but bad shape and no spin. Yeah, yeah, and and. What's interesting about him, he's a good athlete. You know, he was a basketball shooting guard going to go to play for, uh, what was it, uh, Loyola Marymount? Okay, yeah. yeah uh, that's, that's, that's real good. And he's like, so he's really, like, like, like full scholarship? Yeah. He's, okay. he's 6'6. He, he could, uh, he could play a little bit. And he's like super athletic in, in certain ways. Like he throws a lot of strikes and he fields the position really well. But the command isn't, you know, isn't. Is he Super still trying to figure impressive. out how to harness it? I think you could say that. Yeah, I, I think he, he just he's it's control over command right now, and okay. I think he's just he's he's learning how to deal with failure for the first time, and he's doing it. You know, it like it's kind of like an avalanche. At the worst time. Yeah, yeah, because the Tigers' depth is at the worst best time. I mean, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, he's learning that new pitch on the fly, but the, the, this changeup seems like it doesn't it doesn't really kind of floats in there a little bit. But as far as Answer your question about development, Pat. The, Terrence Scoble is the first pitcher the Tigers have had that has been developed outside of the first 10 rounds since 1991. Scott Eldred was the last Tiger pitcher, or I think 1990, actually. Scott Eldred was the last lefty that he was drafted like in the 12th or 13th round. Uh, he, was a home, he was a hometown kid. And since then, I mean, the Tigers have always had, like, you know, Justin Thomas was in the first-round draft pick, so – they have not like you know Chris and I did a whole segment about uh, the, the good and bad and ugly about Cleveland's 2016 draft and how they developed all those pitchers on that just just giving them a, a plan and sticking with it and you're seeing that now for the first time I think like there's a big difference between pitching coach Rick Anderson and Chris Fetter I don't know what Chris Ant- or no offense to Rick Anderson I don't know what he did he maybe he didn't do nothing at all I don't know but when you see the adjustments that Manning's making on the fly based on the fact that he has – he's got – we've heard it when we were in Toledo. We've heard – Chris and I have overheard the coaches, certain personnel people say, we told him to do this. He's not doing this, but he's working on this, like his pitching plan. There is a plan. We've never – I never heard that stuff before. I've been covering the minor leagues now for a good part of five years. I've never heard anything. And, like, you, you always – your job. And like I said, you know, sitting at the games, Pat, you hear certain things. You're like, okay, there's something going on, and that's what it is with this. And Chris Fetters gave him like a playbook and just all this data is out there and they're using it wisely. And it just like you, which leads to my inside number, which is for the Tigers, it is they, since July 1st, they have a FIP, their bullpen, as, as much as their bullpen scored the 23 scoreless innings, it is amazing that with all that going on in terms of what they've been able to do, Minnesota actually has a better FIP. <laughs> Than the Tigers do the bullpen. The, the the Minnesota Twins have a four point one two FIP, and the Tigers have a four point nine, and their WAR is about six. So it's it's a lot of smoke and mirrors right now what the Tigers are doing. And I'm not going to complain about that 
But that inside number to me just stands out because you look at like 23 scoreless innings. Wow, that's you know pretty impressive with some of the names in there. But you look at the numbers and it's just it, it, what helps is having a K per nine and 9.39. That definitely goes a long way. But yeah, that's honestly probably below average for bullpens this year. I wouldn't it wouldn't shock me. Yeah, but. Tampa and New York are number one and two at 10.53, and the Yankees are at 10.18. Seattle is third. With mm-hmm. since July first, with a K per nine nine point zero nine, but they have a WAR of one point eight. Seattle oh. Mariners, which yeah. have one that have really they they still have a bad war, run differential too, I believe as well. So yeah, you, you baseball might, doesn't make any sense. No, no, <laughs> no, it doesn't. No. That's one of the the more you watch it and the longer you follow, you go. I, I don't. This doesn't make any sense. Whatever. Um, that's funny. Yeah, I, I mean, Seattle might be winning because their bullpen has been so locked down. You know, that that's one thing that can really help you overcome a bad run differential is if your your bullpen just shuts down the other team. So yeah, they have a FIP of three point five zero. So, but yeah, those are some interesting. It, it all ties together how the pitching staffs, so even like I said, Cleveland's even hanging in there. Their bullpen in FIP too, but I don't. know. Baseball doesn't make any sense. It's ah, <sighs> uh, but uh, anywho. So we move on, and it's now time for the good. Oh, that's good. The bad. Oh, that's bad. And the ugly. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't expecting this one, Bob. I'm not gonna lie. (laughs) You were expecting uh, Sergio. You don't expect things some SpongeBob mixed in there with Sergio uh, Leone, right? No, 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 that wasn't that was that was was my surprise for today. One of the greatest composers of all time. What do you get when you cross him in the SpongeBob craziness? All right, the same guy who wrote who composed who's the director. Wait, wait, that's a director. I'm thinking of Sergio. Yeah, Sergio Leone. I think Ennio Morricone or what? I don't. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Ennio Morricone is the composer. Thank yeah. you. Sorry about that. You know those right. Italian movies. <laughs> All right, Chris, you're you're going to be up first on this. What is your good, the bad, the ugly this week? Uh, yeah. So my good is Joey Votto. Uh, I don't think this is going to be a huge shock to anybody who's been following baseball over the last month or so, but he's been absolutely uh, going ham for for a month. Uh, this in the last thirty days, he's hitting three fifty two, four forty, eight sixty eight with fourteen home runs. Um, and I think people, you know, if they're paying attention, he hit home runs in seven straight games and and came like a foot away from making eight, which would have tied him for the the all time record, I think, with Griffey and and I think maybe somebody else. Uh, and he had nine home runs total in that time. And then he had two more last night. So it's just, it's fun to see for me because I do think he's generally considered one of the better guys in baseball, just like a good dude. And, uh, and his last three years weren't very good. I kind of thought that he was basically over for him. Like they were getting progressively worse. And so, I don't know, you don't know if this is a, like just a blip or kind of a dead cat bounce or whatever you want to call it, but it's just, it's nice to see him having another really good season here at the age of 37 to me, even though I, you know, don't particularly care about the reds. Uh, my bad is I was going to go with Zach Plesak here, but I thought maybe Pat would or not. So I went with uh, Zach gallon. So I don't think there's any good stories coming out of Arizona this year to tell you the truth. But this one is just kind of a bummer because Zach Gallon was kind of a sleeper Cy Young pick this year after having ERAs under 2.8 the last two seasons. 
Uh, and he was always outperforming his FIP. So that, you know, I, you didn't know for sure if it was going to happen again this year, but injuries have kind of done him in. He's had a hamstring and an elbow. He's only made 14 starts. And he hasn't been terrible because ERA is 4-8. But uh, it's been a rough month for him. He's he's 0-2 with a 5-9-3 ERA over the last five outings. And his walk and home run rates are at like, career high levels. So I think he'll be fine. But it's just it's a rough year. And, and, you know, it's just bad all over for Arizona. But they'll get the number one pick, I think. I haven't checked to see how close it is now with Baltimore. They're both they're both. I mean, Baltimore's terrible. But Arizona's yeah. playing better or playing better as of late. Um, let me see the standings just real quick while I'm doing this. Uh, da, da, da. All right, okay, so the Wi-Fi's not doing well. Whatever. All right. So <laughs> my ugly, and we've kind of touched on this before with the nonstop sportsbook ads. I don't know if they're like that down in, in Ohio, but uh, it's like every third ad here is is uh, you know something for gambling, and I, I just all this gambling stuff is just a bit too much for me. Uh, and like, I don't want to, don't get me wrong. Like I'm cool with people gambling on sports. I think if people really want to gamble, they're going to find a way to do it. Uh, so you might as well legalize it and, and kind of regulate it and like any other vice, but it all feels a bit much to me <laughs> for, for the majors. You know, there's that story about they're going to put a, a sports book at Wrigley field. And then there was talk about putting one at Yan- Yankee stadium and you know, like again, I get it. There's tons and tons of money to be had in gambling, and so baseball wants in. But I, I just have trouble with it being so accessible now. I don't know. Maybe I'm just like a prude in that way. But like, you know, you can gamble on your phone now. You you, you don't have to leave your house. You gamble. You go to the baseball game. You're gambling on everything. And and I just think this is gonna be a problem for some people. Like there are people who have legit problems with gambling, and there are people who probably conquered it or have it under control and this is going to push them back over the edge and they're going to people who be people who didn't have a problem with gambling and now will because it's so easy and it's going to ruin some lives like i don't know how many and and maybe that's not major league baseball's concern you know they you know it's the same way they, they'll serve beer you know it might ruin some lives but they don't really have to worry about it but it's just like it like i said it just feels kind of gross to me like this is just they're all in with gambling now meanwhile as we're speaking they've got the field of dreams game going on right which is based on the book Shoeless Joe, which is based on a player who's been banned for life for supposedly gambling on, on baseball. So it's just, it's all too much for me. And and I don't know, like I said, maybe I'm just lame, but I, I kind of find it gross. Would it be an American activity if capitalism doesn't maintain it? There you go. That's a good point. By the way, I uh, word Vango commented on Twitter, on uh, YouTube. I agree with you on that. He's, you know, in, by the way, our good old friend Ray McConnell agrees with what you're saying, Chris, because you're right. And it, oh. it is because it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of people. My wife used to work in the casino and she's told me some stories and I've seen some things firsthand, too. And if you like it and you're and you're controlled with it, you know, hey, that's cool. But I, I just to me and especially to that, we have at some point, I know for a fact, Chris, that we'll probably get a sponsor. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, ironically enough, and they're okay with us. No, but no, not not. But you know what I mean. Like that. It's just use responsibly. But I would wish I wish there's more disclaimers out there and kind of put it out there. But on YouTube TV, I do YouTube TV. Every five minutes, there's a FanDuel ad or MGM ad. Every five minutes, and it's like clockwork, and it's just it's it's kind of annoying. We've talked about this before numerous times, but it's just get worse. But 
Anyways, I digress. All right, uh, Pat, what is your good, bad, and ugly this week? Um, my good thing. Um, Georgia Blair has ten home runs in twenty-five games. Um, oh, does he? Uh, wow. Yeah, he's been on the power tear lately, and it's kind of cool because I interviewed him in the post game right before this little home run tear, and he said, "I've been behind. I've been under. I've been trying to get behind the ball and lift the ball more because I don't like how many ground balls I've hit, and now he just does this, and it's really cool." And by the way, um, Valera is really cool to work with and stuff. He's good with the media. He's um good translator and stuff too, and his story is really cool. And shout out to him. He's he's a good guy. Um, he doesn't really let the BS as a number one prospect get to his head. He's a good teammate. He's a he's he has good leadership skills and stuff. He leads by example, and you know it's very cool to see. Um, my bad was going to be Omar for scale thing. That's fine. That's well, actually, that was going to be well. Actually, my bad and my ugly are kind of the same. They're both kind of equal, but in different ways. But I mean, honestly. The Vizcal thing is the most ugly thing, and this it is very. It's, there's so many layers to it; it just kind of compounds it even more. And we don't got to get into that because, but you guys can look for that yourselves. But I mean, I just it's just awful. Um, and my other ugly thing, I guess I have one good thing to ugly things would be, um, that ugly thing would have to be what was it? <laughs> Um, what well, um the the minor league thing with the um the players uh crowded getting crowded in, in two in little apartments and stuff like six people in two bedroom apartments and sleeping in kids and stuff is ridiculous. Yeah, and, and I don't know if there's anything. Uh, hopefully, the Cleveland players have been treated well. Uh, there's an uh, there's an anonymous source from the uh, Double A area for the Tigers, but again, we'll know what happened. But uh, so my good is since the All Star break. Gamer Candelario has got a WRC plus of 167. He's batted 322, slash line of 322, 413, and 567. And he's walking at a 13% clip, which is nice. And you look at his uh, bat dip, which is at 377. He's getting it done. Um, defensively, same thing. He's always been a sound, you know, he's but, but the reason why the Tigers are where they are right now, in a way, Outside of where Miguel Cabrera has been coming in handy, second half numbers are insane, but quietly goes about it. Uh, Candelario, I think, is one of the most underrated Tigers, and there's always this debate whether he's a solid pro or not. And I think this season's kind of verifying that he is a steady guy at third base, and that hopefully they get a contract extension. I mean, I think Candelario's been a rock steady force in the Tigers' infield, and if you look at the chaos of the Tigers have a defensive run save of minus 17 between shortstop and second. Candelario's right there and just doing steady job. What were you going to say, Chris? Oh, nothing. I, I, I just, uh, sorry to interrupt your, your thing, but it was just the general silliness of the Tigers from the top of the organization to the bottom about playing guys not at their best defensive position. It's just really strange to me. They, they, like there's, there's something to be said for versatility, but you know, you got Jonathan Scope playing first base all the time. You got a bunch of guys playing shortstop who shouldn't. You got Torkelson playing third base and Workman playing shortstop. It's just, uh, I don't know. It's an interesting philosophy that doesn't seem to be bearing any fruit yet. Yeah, especially because, like, I, I look at the Indians where the areas who's doing really well. They got uh, Jimenez just got called. Uh, Je, or Je, is it Jimenez that just got called out, Pat? Is that Jimenez. Right? Jimenez. Jimenez. Uh, Andres, yeah. Yeah. Well, he started Andres, the year. Yeah. Did he start the year in, in, in Cleveland or no? Yeah, he started the year at shortstop and then um they moved him. They put him this in the back down. But 
Um, I think Cleveland. I think Cleveland's kind of opposite direction where they kind of like versatility, but they also like guys that can play up the middle positions. Um, and they buy defense very heavily, especially at shortstop catcher in center field. Um, and rightfully so. But even in in this era now, where we see he's able, you can have a more, you can have a a player with who isn't as good up the middle at shortstop or second base, who may have been at third or first. 10, 15 years ago, just because of um, more fly balls and less and more strikeouts and less ground balls on the infield. Um, it's in the, that's that facet, but um, I think with Cleveland, they just like guys that can play viable positions very well because it's value that you can um, you can you're gonna be able to find a great defender easy to near find a great hitter just just you know um, how frequently you can find certain commodities, I guess. Yeah, Cleveland's been known. It's a, it's impressive how, how Cleveland puts an infield up every year, and just to see the the, the amount of infield talent that's come out of there in the last 10, 15 years, it's it's impressive. I say I say three decades. I mean, oh yeah, kind of wrote an article about it. Um, you got Vizquel, Bayerga, um, Alomar Jr. during the nineties. Um, then you got uh, Cabrera, Peralta, um, Martinez during two thousands, then Lindor and Jose Kipnis. Um, yeah. Bebo, and now you got another group of guys. But you know, these guys are the guys they traded for. Well, it, it's funny because the the Cleveland method of getting or building their farm system is almost like diametrically opposed to the Tigers, where the Tigers have nothing but corner bats, and Cleveland, like you look at all their top prospects. I mean, Valera is probably a corner outfielder, but he can he hit. Is. He but, is but a corner got, outfielder. Yeah, he but is, you got definitely a right fielder. You got like Rocchio and Freeman and was it the Angel Martinez kid this year? And the other is yeah. it Bracho? Like all these up the middle talents. Yeah, they got Gonzalez in the outfield too. I like Gonzalez, Oscar Gonzalez. And took a couple uh high school center fielders in the draft last year, I thought too, or maybe just one. But um yeah, and meanwhile the Tigers just, is it is it Tolentino, yeah? Or what's twenty twenty? Yeah. Twenty twenty eight took um one center fielder P, not Peter Armstrong, um, what's his name? Petey Halpin. Um, P.D. Halpin, there you go. Yeah, yeah then they took um, three high school shortstops, and, no, two high school, two high school shortstops, and three college pitchers. Yeah, which is Cleveland. Ton, ton of pitching this Cleveland. year too. Yeah, um, eighteen pitchers this year. <laughs> but anyway, so the the bad I wanted to get into was the it's kind of a it's unfortunately involving the Padres, and it's involving. Uh, Dilson Lamette went under procedure for a hip infection. And so uh, originally he had a, um, he was having forearm inflation, but he had to get a procedure that was taken out to where he had is a, it's a hip infection. So, you know, this guy, Lamette's been kind of like this name that's been talked about and for in prospect circles, he's done really well, but it's another step backwards for this guy. I feel bad, I feel bad for him, honestly, because San Diego, I mean, the San Diego system is ridiculous, and, and Pat can test this firsthand. And you know, it's funny too. I didn't even think about the historical context of this all too. It's the Padres in Cleveland done this before with Joe Carter, correct? I mean, this was a, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah they that's, that's what got to Alan Marbury. Yeah. yeah, so they, it's kind of weird how these two teams have this historical context of trading with each other and big trades too. It's not like something small; it's always some big, significant trade. Yeah, they they they, they, they trade a lot of chop. Top talent between each other, um, you know, 
even recently in the last maybe like three or four years, he's done a lot of big trades. Was the catcher too, um, Francisco? Francisco Mejia. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. when he was at his peak value. That's when he was like a top twenty prospect, catcher prospect, and and you got to think about too. He was a switch hitting catcher prospect with a rocket cannon arm. Like he, he was mm-hmm. in the Victor Martinez comps and stuff. And that's just what Cleveland does. They like switch hitting up the middle guys. Yeah, I was. I just remember the one from when we were kids. You mentioned Joe Carter, but I remember that was that was all involving like Sandy and Roberto Alomar and Fred McGriff, and like that was a huge deal when we were tiny. That was like mm-hmm. eight, yeah, it was eight guys or something like that. But uh, yeah. my ugly, by the way, is one Pete Haley of NBC Sports, uh, <laughs> who, by the way, first and foremost, and I don't know about you, Pat, but I can't say jackasses who obviously troll for clicks. And this is what this jackass did. He's a jackass. I don't care if you know he hears me or not. I mean, he might be an NBC football guy, and I'm just a schmuck from you know Michigan, whatever. This guy's a jackass. Um, last night he tweeted during the game, "quote Watching O's and Tigers and realizing how little I thought about Detroit freaking Tigers in my life. What a boring franchise. Have they mattered since the Ty Cobb? First and foremost, you know what the hell you're doing when you're saying that, you jackass. There is seriously like." Why I don't why this is such a thing on Twitter. Like, let me tweet something so stupid so people can click and I can respond on it. It's been half my time on the phone trying to respond to Tiger fans, knowing full well how Detroit Tiger fans are. You're a jackass. Okay, seriously, you are a you're a moron. And honestly, like just this whole, you know, like this. He was born in 1994, but here we are. I'm talking to Pat, who was born in 1998, and Pat knows probably more about baseball in his finger than this guy does in his entire body. It's just like it's just it's ridiculous. And just the trolling aspect of it all. Just shut up. Just enjoy the game. Like, you don't have to tweet something that stupid to get clicks. And he got what he wanted. The Tiger, he knew Tiger fans were going to react. I mean, hell, he knew the Tigers at Tigers.com was talking about the ratio. And, that, and by the way, fantastic job there by Greg, who's a social media guy for the Tigers. But just, I, I don't know. It's just, it's ugly. I mean, you know, it, it, yeah, this was the tweet. Have you mattered since this ratio? Yeah. And damn, you know, it's just like, you know, if you if you're curious what ratio means, as Chris explained in his article, it's when someone makes a bad tweet and garners so much higher number of comments than retweets or likes. So, Honestly, I'm just happy that they started letting to see quote tweets now. I said I had to do, like fish for them. That's that that's so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Like whether it be like whether it be some funny things or complimenting people can compliment or somebody getting torn apart for doing stupid stuff. Yeah. And more of that needs to happen. And it's just, it's other for this guy because he's just, he's just a jackass. And I just, I don't know. Like, I honestly, I was like, looking at it yesterday. I'm like, come on, dude. You know what you're doing. It's, it's, it's crazy because, like, even if you're a casual baseball fan, you, I mean, you you would have definitely seen Justin Verlander during the 2000s. Or, I mean, when yeah. they got Miggy. Yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, it's, it's, just, it's just stupid. Like, I, I vividly remember watching Miggy. Every on ESPN every night during as a kid, 2012, 2013, 2014, when he when he was in his prime, it was crazy. Like I, I it, it was my, it was my, it formed. It, it's my childhood in baseball. I mean, I'm sure you gotta understand that. We you guys growing up in the 90s and 2000s. Um. <laughs> so yeah. That, that's a good comment, Ray. That's a really good yeah. comment. Um, yeah. Ray's pointing out some it, shared pain. Yeah, but definitely. But it's it's, it's funny. Um, Cleveland's been a lot more competent during over the last three decades, and Detroit has. 
and yeah. it's weird. Detroit, but Detroit has so much more money. But it's kind of funny how um how far a shoe farm um how, how far a shoe from office can get you, and how far money can get you when you spend properly. Yeah. But one thing goes wrong. I mean, but baseball is just such a chaotic and um, unpredictable sport, and there's just so much parody involved. You, you're gonna you're gonna lose most of the time, regardless. Yeah, especially because Cleveland has been their front office personnel. They've turned out to go elsewhere is amazing. It's just, it's just the impressive alumni that goes across that. Some most places, it's better. It's, it's, it's very. I think it, I think it's a bit overstated compared to some other front office trees, but I think it's definitely one. It's one of the best internal front office trees in the history of sports. Just considering with how the, who the last heads have been and how they've done for a small market team like that when it comes to them building competitive teams the last three decades literally. I mean each I mean they had a, they've had a team reach ALCS for the last three decades. Yeah, that's something that's fun and understated. And and we talk about it, they've done it by getting rid of a lot of really good pitching. Like award winning pitchers they've had to get rid of because they couldn't afford and they still been I able mean, to rebuild. They've won uh, and these pitchers won five of the last twenty Cyong Awards, I think. Yeah. Yeah, Bieber, Kluber, Lee, Sabathia. Yeah. That all is that five of them? Yeah, that's five. Yeah, I, it. It's it's. And think about all the ones that are placed in the top five. I mean, you had yeah. Cookie and Clevenger getting the top five, top ten with that one year, twenty seventeen, and Bauer was there that next year, and then Kluber twenty sixteen, he placed twenty fifteen, he placed. Um. So yeah. Wonder if uh, they're, they're really spoiled. And one thing for me personally, um, CC was my favorite player growing up, so it, it was really, I kind of, it was really cool seeing a, a black pitcher growing up for me. And I really can't say how, how that that enough. And it, it's weird. Um, that's kind of it, it was a theme for me with my fandom for baseball even before I started writing about baseball. Um, when I was. Eight or seven, eight years old, got suspended from school in second grade, and my mom made me write a book report about Satchel Page, and oh. that was really kind of really when I really started getting into baseball. I come from a baseball family, my mom's side, um, my family likes it there. Um, my um, my great grandmother played in Negro Leagues for a few years. So, oh wow, that's awesome! Yeah. Did uh, did you ever see? I know you're. We can get into some film stuff now because we always mm-hmm. like talking about film. I think you're you're done, right, Raj? Were you done yeah, with your? Yeah, I'm. I'm almost. Yeah. My fault. My bad. No, 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 no that's good, good because I wanted to, I definitely want to talk also, about this. Before we do the transition, though, Chris, we do have to talk about Manscaped. Uh, right. uh, I'll, I'll take care of the this week. So No, no, I, 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 I just wanted I, to say, I, I wanted, just wanted to mention so we could, before I forget, um, yeah. I, there was a movie, I, I don't remember the name of it, but it was an HBO movie, and it was about Satchel Paige, Jackie Robinson, and Josh Gibson. And I... Oh, I d- d- it was a Delroy... Um, yeah, Delroy Lindo, uh, Blair Underwood, and uh, the guy who played uh, Josh Gibson was in Forrest Gump. Yeah, he was. Bu- yeah, he was Bubba in Forrest Gump. Yeah, yeah I know. I, I've heard of that movie before. Um, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Anyway, I, think I, I haven't seen it. I, one of my friends told me about it, but I haven't seen it. Again, that came out four years before you were born. <laughs> I'm still. I'm. I'm legitimately impressed that you know mathematics, considering that came out in '99. As a film, as a film nerd, I'm taken aback by. Right, I'm hurt right now, man. You, you follow me to it all this time, and it, and 
I I I I knew about that, man. I I, I, I know you know right, Leo. I'm I'm just <laughs> I'm, I'm just taking it back right now. <laughs> no, but um, thank you, know, you, Chris. I appreciate you. It's uh, uh before we we move on to talk I'm, about. I'm movies. joking, by the way. You're good. No. Uh, before we move on to talk about movies, uh, let's talk about the Lawnmower 4.0 from Manscaped. And uh, this is a opportunity to clean up your – it's the Performance Factory 4.0. Uh, it's the, the join the 2 million worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your um, rocket ready for takeoff. I go to manscaped.com for 20% off and free ship with the code FANSIDE20. Yes, uh, folks. Um, if you are, you know, trying to get your area trimmed up for a date this weekend, Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer has this whole package is great. It's got the, it's got a weed whacker for your nose, so that way you don't look dumb. Uh, the crop preserver, which is you know for your ball deodorant, crop retriever toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag for your whole system. So again, go to go to manscaped.com forward slash fansided twenty to get your twenty percent off. And a free shipping with the code Manside. So go to Fansided20. So go to manscaped.com and put the promo code and uh, tell them that Tigers Radio sent you over. So um, enjoy that copy. And okay. yeah, so 20% and off again, and yeah. free shipping. Yep. Yeah. And as I said last week, if you, uh, if somebody buys it and shows it to us, I will tell my story. So maybe yeah, nobody wants a, to hear that. A, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, y'all are struggling for some monetization around here, huh? <laughs> Well, I mean, to be fair, we've done. I've been doing oh, this now. That was, that, was, that, was, that was hilarious. That was brutal. I'll tell you that much. But I'll, I'll be honest about it. You know, it's just like uh, we even didn't want to put a Patreon out, honestly. But I mean, at the same time, we've been doing this for a while, and you know, going to games stuff like that those cost money. Every once in a while, would be cool to have. Some I mean, I'm just like I'm just, Chris. If you really put your manhood on the line to test this product. Uh, so look to you, man. You, you, you're different. Yeah, I, I would never. <laughs> I, I'll do whatever. I don't care. I I got stories. I'll. I mean, I'm not going to put videos out there or anything like that. But I've got a whole bunch of theories. We're going to have to keep doing this, but I'm going to save those for later. That 1948 book, Ray. That's a good recommendation. We'll have to put that on. Uh, do we have any questions by the way before we move the move, movies, Chris? Or no? The only one I saw was like, "What's our scouting report on?" Adeline Rodriguez. He doesn't swing at spin. He can't swing at spin. Next question. Well, he can't swing at it. He can't hit it very well. Yeah, that's, there we go. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. Like, he's a 29 year old. He's got close to 200 or more than 200 minor league home runs. He's never been called up to the majors. Generally, there's a reason for that. We know that sometimes guys just need a chance to prove it. But yeah, he, he's he's a classic kind of quad a uh, slugger, if you will. And I. I think he should go to Japan and make a bunch of money hitting 40 home runs. Yeah. A lot of the tweets we get at about him are in Japanese. It's actually pretty cool. So get in the movies, Chris, where, where did you want to go with the movies direction? Cause there's a, there's a couple of ways we can go about this. I mean, we were talking about baseball movies earlier with field of dreams and, mm-hmm. you know, Pat and I were talking well, beforehand about, you know, it's, it's kind of slightly overrated. Oh, well, <laughs> apparently, apparently, somebody wants to tell the story now. Oh, boy. I can't, like somebody's no, somebody's got to buy the trimmer before I'll do it. It's yeah. just the way it goes. Yeah, fan, yeah, go to manscape.com for it, and then put the promo code fans out of twenty. Yeah. There you go. So, uh, I told it. I told it on a podcast. I told it on Marquise's show like five years ago, randomly. Uh, oh, so if somebody wants that. to go back and find what it was it used to be Fanarchy or whatever it was called. Yeah. But uh, yeah. no, I mean, I, I guess just. Kind of the similar thing we were talking about with uh, with 
earliest baseball memories for Patty. You said you were writing. You wanted to be a writer at a really young age. So did I. Uh, I never really tried to write a screenplay until I was like 15, but you said you were starting when you were like 12. Oh, no, no. I wouldn't, I started, I knew I wanted to be a novelist at 12. I didn't start oh, writing gotcha. screenplays until I was like 16 years old. Well, yeah, I'm kind of curious what, what inspired you to get into the film aspect of it. Um, so I've, I've always loved movies my whole life. Um, just as much as I've loved books and, and things like that, but movies and TV. Um, when I was a kid, I actually had a VCR collection um, and a DVD collection. Um, my father, um, is a big movie guy. So he had, he had a DVD collection with the towers and stuff. Um, and you know, growing up, he would make, he watched some movies with me, Spike Lee movies and stuff. Um, my mom would watch some movies with me growing up and she really, I remember going to Hollywood video with her, um, and buying VCR tapes and stuff like that. Um, so yeah. Um, I say my earliest movie memory would just be, if that was a question, um, yeah, sure. Yeah. That's a question. Um, probably just taking the VC, um, SpongeBob VCR tape I had, like the very first season of SpongeBob. Um, I, I wore that thing out. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. I, I, we didn't get a VCR as a family till like 1993. My brother got one. Cause he was tired of our family not doing anything with stuff. My parents were just kind of cheap. We didn't get cable or anything like that. But uh, no, I was just saying, it's interesting, Pat, because, because the first like radio show I ever did, it was me and my friend Perry, who was a film critic. He went to film school, all that stuff. And so we'd spend like an hour, hour and a half talking about baseball. And the last 30 minutes would be him basically schooling me on, on film. And it was, it, I don't know, it's, it's kind of fun. So I, I don't know. I mean, you mentioned Spike Lee stuff. I don't know if there was any particular like, like adult movie that really caught you at a young age. Um, first adult movie that caught me. And I mean, adult isn't like adult themes, you know, not like, uh, definitely. Um, yeah. um, <laughs> Cornbread Earl and me. Um, I remember, so my my parents, they really made me watch a lot of the black films they grew up on um, or or they saw when they were teenagers during the 80s and stuff like that or they saw during the 90s when they were in the 20s. Um, so Cornbread Earl and me was really that movie. It's about, I don't know if any of you have seen it, it's about um, a basketball player with the afro who gets shot by the police. Um, it's Lawrence Fisher-Brenton as a kid. Um, it's a it's a, it's um it's a quintessential black movie in my opinion just for well for for black American cinema but also fits into the larger piece of African cinema with police relations and stuff. Um, for me, that was that was that was a big movie for me. Um, personally, when it comes to adult themes of um you know just in this country of race to me as a black man and and understanding how things are and what happens and. What and whatever, whatever, whatever. So, talk about in terms of like VCR collection, VHS collection. We got our first VHS player in nineteen. I was like ten or eleven years old, and we got it from Montgomery Wards. And it actually, still it was still working until like four or five years ago. It was still, I think, it was a beast. And I was the only one that could figure out how to do the VCR plus code to record on television because we didn't have cable till my freshman year of high school. And you're talking about adult movies and kind of those things that stand out at a young age and in terms of VHS, we would rent just because I watched a lot of like local TV had like the, the Saturday afternoon horror pictures, you know, like the channel 20 horror theme hours and those 
cheesy vampire <laughs> movies, the Christopher Lee movies. Those are things that I remember. Uh, a lot of those bad, uh, you know, I grew up watching a lot of Star Trek uh, reruns and what have you. But I, in terms of VHS collection, it just didn't really like movies like people talk about like Stan Kubrick movies and stuff like that. I never really got in it until I got older because it was just something that like I enjoyed. If you're going to tell me, um, <laughs> that's true. I like the way he's reserved about that. We didn't say forced hump or, you know, like something like that, but, uh, or, behind the green, or behind the green door or whatever. That I will, I, I, I will say one of the scene or not. One of the first movies I've ever remember seeing is legitimately Debbie does Dallas. I was, <laughs> it, I was not supposed to. My brother, my brother's six years older than me, right? Yeah. And he was watching the neighbor's house and took me over next door and started playing it. I was like seven. I was like, what's going on? I, yeah. yeah. No, but, uh, but as far as movies are concerned, just one of those, it, it, to me, it was kind of like, um, I, we grew up watching a lot of like just bad B movies, a bad, a lot of horror movies, a lot of vampire movies, like I was mentioned earlier. And my dad had an affinity. It was funny because my dad, he, he loved, he loved action movies. I mean, he was like, he would always say, ah, que paquete, you know, and he would just say like, what a load. And, and he loved it. He loved that. He was a big, big action movie guy. And every Saturday night we, we were the neighbors uh, around the block from us. And we watched like bomb movies or uh, culture movies. Like uh, my dad was really trying to get us into where he, when he lived in Spain for a little while after he left Cuba, like, Oh, you know, this is what Spain looks like. And this is, you know, cause we, we went to Spain a few times, but you don't remember that. And just, uh, but they watch a lot of telenovelas, uh, sat, you know, Gigante, and the big game show on Saturday nights and all that. But but my dad, in terms of movies, he was always, always in the cheesy action movies and just uh, the, the sci-fi stuff came from my older brother. And and, and I eventually getting into style, like I got into Quentin uh, Tarantino movies and that kind of stuff from my older brother. And even with like, there's a couple of um, good movies that have been done in, in Latin America that. Uh, uh, Tamien. Um, there. Oh, yeah, that's a movie I haven't seen. Mama Tambien. Yeah, Tu Mama Tambien. Yeah, that's that's a good movie. But there's just, but for VHS though, just getting back to VHS, all I mean, it's just a bunch of series of B movies like Children of the Corn, like Stephen King stuff. Like just that stuff is just like oh, a lot of a lot of straight to video Stephen King yeah. movies. Man, I remember those the bad the bad ones from yeah. the random books he would just throw out there. Oh man. Yeah, like, like, um, and yeah, that, and that's it's kind of funny because Stephen King was one of my favorite writers growing up. So me too. Yeah, um, creep show, so it was a creep show. That, creep show was based off of Skeleton Crew, correct? I, I haven't seen that one actually. Um, oh really? Oh no, you, you, creep show seen. is creep show is fantastic. And if you read okay. Skeleton Crew, the story I don't know if you, you read Skeleton Crew. I haven't read. That's actually one of the Stephen King books I haven't read. Well, there's a story about a lake, and it it's in Creep Show. Have you seen Creep Show? Mm-hmm. Chris, have you seen Creepshow? I don't think so. What is uh, so Creepshow is a movie. It's a series of short stories in a movie, and it's based off some of the. So stories. it's like so it's anthology in a movie. So it's anthology. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's, it's like kind of like um, scary stories that that book, but just. I remember Cat's like, Eye. Was he involved in that thing at all? Cat's Eye. I, yeah. I don't, no, all right. I don't never mind that. Anyways, <laughs> but just get a chance to read that. And that's what kind of like those things were involved into eventual. Like I said, uh, a lot of any movies. Um, Hard boiled. I don't know if you're familiar with that movie at all. Yeah, oh, I love Asian cinema. So oh, I'm dude. a big, I'm a big Johnny Till and John Woo fan. Um, Asian cinema is a huge, especially um Hong Kong and Korean cinema. And I actually studied um film when I lived in China when I studied abroad in China. Um, oh wow, man. Um, but um, 
Yeah, I love Asian cinema. It's, 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 it, for me, world cinema is a huge... For, for me growing up in the internet age, world cinema is a huge um, facet in how I understand movies, foreign movies, especially um, in the subtitle era where subtitles is probably more welcome for people my age because we watch a lot of anime and a lot of foreign stuff. And I know Raheel can attest to that. Um, so... Yeah, I mean that that kind of that's kind of make that full circle. I love Asian cinema so much. Um, Heartbreak. I like John. Jam- yeah, yeah. Um, um, Prodigy. You talked about it on um on um Mac Ten Handle. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I like Nor- John- Noriega mentioned it too. Noriega yeah. said something like "Hardboil you like John Woo." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, I like Johnny Toe a lot. I like Johnny Toe a lot better than John Woo. I told us one of those. I'll have, to, I'll have to check that out. But this is it, what's amazing. It's just part of the creatine collection. But my older brother would randomly. This would do. He would randomly check out a VHS movie and something like this hard boiled. And we still talk about this movie to this day because it's such a well. I mean, there's so many times. I think there's like not a like a second where there's not a gun being involved and or some sort of like explosion and and Chow Young Fat. By the way, this is. I mean, it, excuse me, Chow Young Fat is in his prime here, and he's so his comedic timing too. Like he's just. When the, when the baby's pissing on him and, and the fire and all that stuff like yeah anyway but uh yeah so um so. i have a hot take yeah go ahead i think um the killer is better than, than hard boil oh no the killer is better no no you're no you know what i can't and anybody who's not familiar probably some people right now who are like okay what are you guys talking about the killer is a let me see if i come up here real quick this is for people watching on youtube right here this is this is fantastic. This is yes. right here at his finest. Yes. And, kind of and for those who don't know, this movie is based on the samurai. Um, mm. by what's his name? I cannot remember that guy's name. Um, look at the uh, samurai. Oh but, yeah, um, Kurosawa? Kurosawa? Kurosawa. Yeah, Kurosawa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which by the way, this this cover right here remind me of Gogo. No, the samurai, the French movie, the French movie. Oh, the French movie. Oh, oh okay, okay. I'm sorry. The French one. Oh, uh, I think we did that then. Um. But this cover right here reminds me of Gogo Thirteen, which is an anime. So yeah, yeah we're, we're geeking people, we're geeking people out right now. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like it, I don't care. That's fine. This is this is oh, the, the shades, the shades definitely, and and yeah. explosion, but definitely it is giving me um a lot of um a lot of Gogo Thirteen vibes for sure. Yes, especially that gun, like right there. It's like a classic. We see that in that movie all the time, or mm-hmm. that anime. But yeah, no, the, no, the killer is a good one. That's a good call, and I can never find. I've not been able to find it on Blu-ray. It's been a while since I've even looked, but. That that's a good call, Pat. No, I don't. I, I powered a lot of movies, so I have it Blu-ray digitally. Um, I have, nice. I, yeah, I have a um, I have two terabyte. I have two, two, two. I have multiple terabyte hard drives filled with movies and TV shows and stuff. Man. and I was just uh, telling Chris that I've been watching Miami Vice. Mm-hmm. I've been just going through the first season, and Michael Mann. Michael Mann's my favorite film director ever. Yeah. So I'm and, I'm a Michael Mann disciple. I'm pretty sure you, you see me talk about Heat every week. Yeah, and, that, that's, that, and that's what I, I kid you not. That's what got me going. I'm like, you know what? I should look at Miami Vice from a from like to, like because I it's one of those things where I never watched. I watched it as a kid, but you know when you watch things from a kid, you don't really get involved. And then all all the stuff Michael Mann's done since you're like, okay, you, well, you see a click, you, and then yeah. you, you see you just see a click. Yeah, um, that's that's how I mean for sure when I watch things that I've never seen as a child, or maybe even when I learn certain things in movies or just or as a writer, um, as I kind of learned from experience or, or reading or something like that, and I go back and watch it again, even afterwards, I see things differently, or just um, just you know what, just seeing 
movies are like puzzles or, or like Rubik's cubes, and especially um, directors and writers who weave things into the movie, the Easter eggs, and everything like that too. And just even more because they because they know those certain people like us, the nerds, are, are gonna um, watch the movie twenty times. Um, so I, I love that, and that's kind of what I want to do with my writing as well to interact with my audience and to reward them because I think you reward your audience things like that, and you also reward yourself by being good enough to do things like that as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and it's even you can do that on a podcast form too with like some of the, the regular segments and kind of the inside jokes that people start. Oh, the illusions and just yeah. building up that continuity and just that, that um, just that that tangible stuff and yeah. material yeah and, but you're but you it's miami vice was done in 84 and yeah. you look at it now there's elements now that you see now in movies that are like standard but it i just mean seemed, yeah go ahead michael man just um just the, the precision and uh the, the attention detail is is timeless and like it really helps movies age well um even when because it makes the it gives the um the, the age is the time period of charm by being well done and being clean and, and well cut and things like that. And um, to me, one thing I really love about Michael Mann well is he uses a, a city and he makes a city a part of the film by using and just the way he uses the environment environments, where to be offices, downtown, suburbs, yards, houses, everything like that. And just the diversity in the locations just to show the city's true character and everything like that is very good. And also always willing to simulate things and also do, and also pay business for the time to use their, their atmosphere and their locations. I like that also. That's, that's the big thing for me is the set design and using locations. I give a, a feel of atmosphere that correlates to what you're trying to do. Like, like you, you feel it, you know, it, so it sucks you into the atmosphere with the movie even more, you know, cause, um, he he just uses the whole medium so well and combines and he's such a good writer also. He doesn't but he also puts so much into it to make sure he gets everything he can out of it, take advantage of, be able to use the visuals to go along with the writing to make them emphasize emphasize each other. And what he for me is how he kinda uses the um the postmodern stuff of LA to to contrast and also comment on like near nor and the gangsterism and everything like that, kinda how old fashioned um, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro's characters are in contrast to the environment there, which is kind of what it was modern then, because it was the it was it was considered a near norm movie and still is even now, even though it was the nineties. So, mm-hmm. no, it's interesting. In Michael Mann's the tangents, by the way, guys, my fault. No, it's you're, you're good. No, because we we've talked before because I also he he. He's kind of like a camera nerd too. He like makes his own cameras and stuff. In in this is kind of funny. Uh, I mentioned that I, I always like to write, but I didn't know what I wanted to do with it. And then mm. I saw The Insider, it's, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I decided, you know what? I'll just go into journalism then because wow. I'm going to be Al Pacino. And it, wow. then I I went into journalism. They're like, yeah, you can make $25,000 a year. I'm like, all right, no, see you later. Uh, <laughs> but still, it's still one of my favorite movies. Uh, mm. I, yeah, I love Michael Mann, too. So that's really cool to hear. Yeah, it's, I'm a big Al Pacino fan, by the way. Yeah, so so here's here's a funny. Uh, you actually sell us this debate here, uh, Pat. So <laughs> so uh, Scarface, which was done, um, which was directed by Brian um, De Palma. By Ryan De Palma. Yeah. Written by Oliver Stone. Yeah, written by Oliver Stone. 
I when I was when I worked this is when I worked in retail a long time ago at Best Buy. Everybody when that movie first came out on DVD, that was the most requested movie of all time. And I watched when I was a kid. I was like, okay, you know. And and then as I got older and I started understanding the Cuban culture a little bit, I'm like, I uh, know, I I know, no, no. It's just because my dad has such a visceral hate for it, and he's just like, you know. Okay, so I saw that's a, that's a crappy Cuban accent and capturing that whole Cuban scene incorrectly a little bit. Um, Chris loves that movie. I don't like that. Movie. I, I don't like that. I don't care for it. Brian De Palma has done better movies. I don't know if you watched the movie with um, Brian De Palma movie. I'm thinking of that's really good is the one with John Travolta, where he's a uh, sound. It's um, John. Uh, of course, uh, John Lickwell plays a serial killer type person. Shocker, because he's really good at that. Um, it's a, I forgot the name of the movie, but John Travolta plays a guy who collects sound for movies and he actually picks up a sound of a senator getting shot and killed. And it's, he, he gets all of a sudden out of nowhere, he's targeted to get killed and, and part of this whole government conspiracy thing. But Brian DePaulo directs it and it's, uh, I think in 80, 81 and trying to draw a blank and remember the name of the movie. Anyways, that's a better Brian DePaulo movie. That's one of his best movies. It's Star- blowout. Blowout. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Blowout. Really good. I don't know if you've seen it, Pat, but that's a very good movie. I'm, I'll look it up, though. Yeah, you gotta look that up. But I like Carlitos Way. You like Carlitos? Okay, Carlitos Way is better. I don't like Scarface. I hate Scarface. Scarface. I, I, so I, I hate it for the reasons you mentioned with how it portrays Cubans and things like that. Um, but that's kind of that whole era with the 80s and the crack era and everything. And then we can get into that's that's a whole another story thing in itself. Because that, that just believes in totally different other things that we just can't get into. Um, yeah, I just don't like that movie. I, I really feel like for everybody involved, it. I mean, it's it's one of those, it's a, it's an object object objectively bad movie, but the charm is there because it's objectively bad and what the area represents and how it kind of is a microcosm of um, the crack epidemic and the war on drugs in itself, um, and things like that, and. Kind of correlates with how um, Hollywood kind of aligns with the government and how coincidentally things correlate. So, um, <laughs> well, I I feel like I should clarify that I don't actually love Scarface. It was just a huge movie for me growing up. Because I mean, I, I understand that it was. It, I mean, it was a huge movie. It was. It was everything for you guys growing up because it, it it fit the era so well. Just. It, Basically, when I saw it as an adult, I'm like, oh, no, this is not really very good. But it was like so many rappers, like the Ghetto Boys, their whole self-titled album was like it's like 40 percent Scarface samples. And they used the, the Mob Deep has used the beats from Giorgio Moroder for the soundtrack for like three or four different songs. Mortal Technique did it for a song like it, it mean, just like hip hop is there's a lot. Hip hop is really entrenched on movie samples a lot. Or hands on movies happens a lot, and it doesn't get enough shine, especially horror movies and, and Scarface and stuff. Oh, but horror movies, especially, is really overlooked. I I discovered in the within the last year, there's a rapper I like named ASAP Rock, not ASAP Rocky, but ASAP Rock. I know, I know where ASAP Rock is. Right. So um, he had a song on his album uh, Labor Days, last song on the, the album, and it, and I've always dug it, and it's called Shovel, and I was watching Carrie earlier this year and i'll be damned if it's not the 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 song from the prom and carrie she's she's walking and it's it's a sample from that i'm like like i never would have thought in a million years it was from that 
Yeah, like, like um, horror movies. On um, I know um, Three Six Mafia. They sampled the um, the the the, the noise of Jason Thirteenth, the the, the breathing noise. They did that multiple times. So, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's well done. But the either way, it's um, the, I find it funny that like just that Brian De Palma does that movie, and then and then there you saw about the we did we do Untouchables too, right? He did Untouchables yeah. too. Yeah, and Untouchables is actually not bad of a movie, although, you know, when you read the true story about Elliot Ness, it's far different from the movie. Uh, the guy was, yeah. a punk, you yeah. know, he was a womanizer and all that stuff, but again... Yeah, we, don't let truth get in the way of a good story, man. Yeah, the Irish guy who never Print the existed. legend. Yeah, the Irish guy who never existed, and, you know... But, when I think of Brian De Palma, I just think of... And like, I'm not a, like a super film buff, but it seems like every movie he does, there's like a super long pan shot. It just takes like a Thank minute and a half and, uh, and then comes back. Like there's a couple of them in Scarface where he, he like that, like the, the infamous uh, hotel room scene where he'll start there and then he goes all the way out to the car and it takes like a minute and then he comes all the way back in and they've got the chainsaw going. It's just kind of an interesting filmmaking technique to me. I don't see a lot yeah, of other people use that. Yeah. It's changed a lot, but it, it depends. Um, like you know, Marshall Stacy. Like I'm thinking of um, the Departed when Matt Damon's character first walks with yeah. the police station. They do the the, the first blow, and they don't. They show him going up steps, and they kind of jump down straight to going to the office. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of hate that in the movies, like the old movies, where they show the guy walking to the office. You know, cut to him opening the door. You know, cut to him walking through some hallway. You know, cut to him going up the elevator and asking the weatherman about the weather and all this thing and who won the pennant. <laughs> No, and, and that's the difference between what, what you're talking about Miami, the way Miami, he, he uses Miami, uh, Michael Mann does, mm-hmm. speaking to Brian De Palma, who talks, it's just more like a, kind of like the, the hustle and bustle of, you know, the south side of Miami, and then you see Michael Mann kind of talk, like the, the, the architecture, you're looking into some of the shots can- in Miami Place, you know? He really digs into the, whatever location he's in, and really absorbs and captures what it is and that that's that's a really real skill and for me what he understands about you know like that was a real shanty town he filmed in and the chop shop and all that like or like that was a real homeless guy he included in the movie when they were doing the bank or when they're doing the bank dharma car scene at that intersection like and then to me is that's the most important part is, is the authenticity because it adds a, a layer that that's noticeable but it can't be captured unless you really put in the work like he had like even even in Thief, um, you know, I read a I have a book, um, I was spending hundred dollars on about the the bank robber who was a consultant on on Thief and how when he was on the consultant for that movie, he was on FBI's top ten most wanted list. <laughs> wow. That's wild. Well, that's uh, like I talking about Insider. He actually had the yeah. real Attorney General from Alabama, I think it was, or whoever. Yeah, was like the real I mean, Attorney he, General was in it. Yeah, and he he had actual police officers train the police officers they had criminals train the criminals no yeah the Edward james almost did it when he was talking about when he first became part of the scene or he joined the cast mm-hmm. after the original lieutenant died or uh, the guy who was in uh barney miller I forgot the guy's uh, actor's name but anyway um he told every like he let michael man let him like take the it was the office was kind of busy with full of stuff and instead he goes i just want a bottle of aspirin a clean desk and that's it and Edward James almost character, Lieutenant Castillo, which is a sweet name because obviously, but uh, no, it's just because Mar- Marty Castillo is just a serious straight laced. <laughs> it's the same character he plays in Blade Runner, 
but not as curmudgeon or not as angry. Because if you look at his character in Blade Runner, it's the same kind of like, I'm pissed. You don't, there's a lot of lines get cut in Blade Runner. They don't see that. You see him going, okay, I wanted to be, he, he was trying to be more ambitious and get ahead a little bit, but you don't see that happening, unfortunately. But in, in the way Michael Mann uses Edward James almost in that show is, is phenomenal and just kind of like minimizes just minimal character. He's always got the same black shirt or black suit, the white shirt, black tie, always has this look on his face. <laughs> No, uh, fuck it. You guys go out and uh, go check some things out. Like he's just his eye, he's intense the entire time. He's like, yeah. So, uh, let's go out here and we'll go from there. You're okay. Yeah, I'm fine. So they, even keel every time, and just yeah. Anyways, I can go on and on about that and uh, Miami Vice thing. But one uh, thing I really like about Michael Mann is how um, you can tell he he learns from his past movies and kind of builds on certain things and certain themes. He, he you can tell he just plays with certain concepts over and over again or or works on and, and things like that. Like um, with Deep and Heat, there, there's so many elements he carried over and kind of improved on with the movies and the concepts and everything like that. And it was really cool to see. Because you don't see many directors get a chance to do that. Also, when you use the soundtracks, it's Chef's Kiss right there. I mean, that's yeah, it's actually electronic music for yeah. back then. That was very, very groundbreaking. And using bands like um, I said, band he used for Thief. Um, I think Tangerine electronic bands. I'm sorry, God, I, I'm a music nerd too, so. Um, <laughs> Yeah, don't um, even start like, it. We, yeah, I could go. We could go all over on music. I'm not, yeah, oh, I think it's another hour. Oh, we'll have to do that for I, another supplemental podcast. I mean, I see, you tell you want to talk about music, but I mean, we can talk about it. I mean, we can we, we can talk about it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we're we're almost at the hour and a half point, but I mean, I think next time you have you on, Pat, we can I can tell I can I can go on I can literally talk thirty minutes about the movie Cool World and how it pr- totally changed the way animation and that crossed together in one of the best soundtracks of all time. <laughs> You want to talk about 20 minutes about back. Future Sound of London? Yeah, go ahead. What would you say, Chris? Is that Ralph Bakshi or whatever his name is? I think so. I'm trying to think of Gable Byrne was in that movie. I'm, or no, no, I'm sorry. I was just thinking of the actors in that movie. It was early Brad Pitt, too. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, anyway, I, I can go on about soundtracks, too. Movie, good movie soundtracks and all that. But uh, Pat, thanks so much for joining us, man. This was really good. Yeah. And we'll have you on again for sure. Um, what do you want to pimp out? Uh, any links or anything that we might have people check out your work again? And thanks for everybody who's listened to us on YouTube and, and on Twitter. And again, some of the great comments this evening. And, and Pat, where can people find you on Twitter? And we're just uh, we'll put your link on or your Twitter link on our um, description. But where can we where people can find you? Cool. Um, you can find me on Twitter at tangible underscore you know, T-A-N-G-I-B-L-E underscore UNO. Um, Anything you want to put about? Um, I have a series where I cover black pistol players, writers, scouts, um, front office members, um, managers, coaches, etc. Um, and modern baseball, magic baseball called the Clubhouse Conversation Series. Um, and these are player individuals from all over diaspora. Um, I've covered, I've done eight series, I've done six players, one writer, and one front office member so far. Um, that's kind of like my my crown jewel and the current advancement of my black face player articles. Um, you can find my medium page tangible ones, tangible window.medium.com. That's kind of where I run um, my coverage of buckets plays that I do individually and my culture website where I am the senior baseball contributor. Um, I work for Indies Baseball Insider where I cover the high affiliate of the Cleveland Indians. And I also, you know, we contributor for the Lockdown Indians podcast with um, Jeff Ellis. 
So Jeff Ellis, good friend of the show. If you ever yeah. if you get a chance, I don't know if you guys talk about board games, but Jeff and <laughs> we there's one podcast we talked for an hour after the show about board games. We were talking about Settlers of Karan, uh, Catan. So if you want to get in uh, Jeff's, it's I'm not a board games guy. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, for real, if, like it, it's amazing. Jeff and I were just sitting there talking about uh, Chris. Didn't was he talk to you about Settlers of Karan or Catan strategy with you for a little while or something like that? I don't. I don't remember if it was or not. I mean, we definitely. It's funny. I just got a uh, call from Perry today for the first time in like a year, and Perry's my big board game friend. Uh, friend, and yeah, he, we were talking about board games for a little bit. But yeah, I don't. I don't this is what it's like to be fifty. I don't want it. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. I'm only forty. <laughs> I'm sorry, me, you, you, play, you play Monopoly, didn't you? Did you ever play Monopoly? Life, not a forty. Yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, no. Jeff's a, Jeff's a good dude. We've uh, we've dealt with yeah, him for years Jeff's now. Great, man. Um, he's he's really great. Um, he's um, and also um, I got to give a shout out to uh, Shakir Taylor and uh and, and Jim Ramos. Um, they really kind of both helped me start my career and helped me get to this point. Nice. And so I definitely got to give them a shout out. Um, and Shakia, she's good people. She from Youngstown, like me. So. Oh, yeah, we had right. her on the podcast in February. She, we did an album before baseball started. We actually did an album review on Low End Theory, and I was talking about like we were going to have Ron talking baseball. I'm like, well, we're going to do a little bit of music because it was off season and you need to fill out some time. And she's like, well, what album? I'm like, well, Low End Theory because it's celebrated. And she's like, and she sent me a picture of her in a Tribe Called Quest T-shirt the day at of the, the, yeah, email. At the time. Like, yeah. yeah, at the time that she was wearing, then she had a Tribe Called Quest tattoo and. I was like, oh, that worked out yeah, pretty well. It was one, yeah. of our, one of our best, uh, one of my favorite podcasts we've done this year because we we talked very little about baseball. We talked about a little bit about baseball and her some of the things she's uncovered too as well, which is her knowledge and just respect of the game is fantastic. But uh, even the summer of 54, I bought a T-shirt just to support it, even though I, I'm nowhere near a beer in Chicago, but I <laughs> want to support a cause like that, which is dear, near and dear to her. And at the and just also for the game in general. So, um, but yeah, that Tribe Called Quest podcast. I you know maybe a lot of our regular listeners didn't listen to that in here. I that was a lot of fun um, to do. So yeah. I mean, I mean it, it, for you know we we were, we actually got to play something. We got to play this. Go stomping, ripping and rubbing. New York, North Carolina, and Compton. Chicken. Sorry. Yeah, and then yeah, this was our favorite one right here. Sockman, what the fuck is that? I'm going to make low end theory. Documentary. Yeah. It was not any by any grand design. I was just in a very huge learning. Yeah. So anyway, um, but yeah, she's she's great people. So um, absolutely, man. She's she's dope. So I will put that link for Pat, Pat's Medium on our description for tomorrow. So if you guys want to check out his work, please follow him on Twitter. Um, well, just um, put the clippings for my yeah. Twitter bio. I think yeah. that'll work better. Okay, no problem. Um, but yeah, there'll be, there'll be a link in there. So cool. please follow, uh, Pat's work. He does a fantastic job. The level of detail and attention to detail writing is something, like I said, I can, we can, again, maybe for the Michael, Man, the Mike, Man, Michael Mann podcast or the music podcast, <laughs> they'll be coming out separately on a, on a bonus episode. But, uh, Pat, thanks so much for joining us again. And we will, we'll, uh, hopefully catch you at a game in Lake County soon. Oh, definitely. Oh, I would like to meet you guys hang out. Um, Maybe have a beer or something, but thank you guys for having me. Um, I really enjoyed being here. Um, appreciate it. Right, no thank you guys for letting me have access to your audience.